you can do a lot with an intention. It's a statement about how you want to show up in the moment, in the day, in the week, in the year, in your business, what you want. It gives you an opportunity to put the power of your word with your body, your breath, your heart, your energy into one statement. You can turn it into a mantra if you want to chant it. You can turn it into an affirmation, but it's your guiding principle. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here, where I talk to BIPOC beauty pros about breaking into beauty, standing out, and defining success for themselves. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I'm OG beauty director turned consultant, but I'm also a dot connector who links others with people, ideas, and information. And I do this show because I am an advocate for creating an equitable, inclusive beauty industry. And this show is one way to bring you the information if you want to take a seat at the table or build one of your own. Let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of Start Right Here. What we do in these are give you practical tools to build your beauty career or your entrepreneurial business. I am so pleased to welcome my girl. We have been friends since the blogging days, the early 2000s. Ananda Leek, who is a thriving, mindfully coach, artist and author, human design doula. And I wanted to ask Ananda to come here today because if you are thinking about pivoting your job, looking for a new career, looking to get promoted or find a new job or start the entrepreneurial journey, you have to start with the right mindset. And Ananda is the person who can help us think about that in the right way. And I'm so excited to welcome her here today. Thank you, Ananda, for joining me. Thank you, Corinne, for having me. We go way, 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 way back. Yeah, so I wanted to start with the audience to hear a little bit about your background and your journey, because you've done some successful pivots yourself, and that's why you are the best person to come and talk to us, because you're walking your talk in terms of making change. All right. Change, everybody. Ooh, that's a big word. And it has been a theme in my life and my career. And so I started out as a lawyer and that didn't work out. And I moved into investment banking and I thought I had found a home in public finance. That was stressful. Stressful AF, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. And that didn't work out either. And so when that career shifted, I thought, I'll be a consultant. I'll just use my skills and I'll be a consultant. And that did not work out. And so I was about 32, 33, and realizing that the universe has sent me a number of signs that these career opportunities, and I call them opportunities because that's what I wanted to do. And I'm glad that I did it. And the universe had something else for me to explore. 
And so as a result of that high level of change and stress, I started getting panic attacks and I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I couldn't even get to the bus and ride five or six blocks to a temp job to answer phones, type. I was at a place where I was doing whatever I needed to do that was not stressful. And I had a panic attack one day and I got off the bus and I didn't know how I was going to get home. And I wasn't sure where to get off on the bus. And I just breathed because I noticed that my breath was shallow. And I kept hearing my mother say, breathe in my head. She always says, breathe, drink water and walk. And the tears were coming. I got on the bus. I told the bus driver, I wasn't really sure, but I knew it was around an intersection, a busy intersection. And he said, okay, well, there's a couple. And he said, U Street. And I said, I think that's my street. And so he stopped and I got off and I went into the house and I just collapsed. And I just said, I'm not well. And at this point, I was getting therapy. And I told my therapist what was happening. And she said, look, I'm going to give you two options, meditation, try that, or medication. She said, it's going to get worse if we don't treat it. And so I said, I'll try meditation first because I didn't want to have the medication. And I want to say that meditation is great. That's a wonderful option. You use what you need to use for what works in your life and in your body. So the meditation worked. And from that, the panic attacks, when they came, I had more skills and more tools to use. And after practicing it and getting serious with it, because I had done it before, but you know, you tried different things and it didn't stay and I didn't think I needed it. So why do it every day or every couple of days? It became a lifeline for me. And that opened up the door to yoga. And that became a regular practice, meditation and yoga. And from there, I got exposed to Reiki. I was in a meditation and prayer group with a number of sisters that were 10, 20, 30 years older than me. And I'm really grateful because they exposed me to sound healing. All of the modalities that I use now in my life, personal life, and in the work that I do with my wellness company, I was exposed to and I was using and it was helping me manage and get better and really realize that my calling came out of my own stress, my own issues. And isn't that how it works generally? The stuff that we're called to share comes from our own life. You mine it from your own life. So I went from struggling, stressed out, pissed off and angry lawyer, investment banker, and a digital communications professional who was really tied into what I did. I had defined myself by my career and I was pissed as I don't know what, that things weren't working out. And I started studying it because someone said, you're really good at telling me how to use meditation. And I was always suggesting to people, you know, you should meditate. All you have to do is sit or whatever, basic instruction. So I decided when I turned 40 that I would give myself a gift of studying it. And sure enough, at 41, I enrolled in a teacher training program for yoga. That opened the door to Reiki. And then from there, 
I started working in a hospital as an artist in residence at Howard University Hospital with cancer patients and HIV AIDS patients. And they found out that beyond the art that I had meditation and yoga experience. So they asked me to teach them that in the hospital. It was breathing to help manage the stress of the diagnosis or the pain that they were in. And working at the hospital for about seven or eight years, I really started to say, I'm a healing artist. I'm a wellness professional. I was able to walk in my calling as it unfolded. And that brings me to today. Right. What's really interesting in all that you said is that being tied to what you do. And for the people that are listening and watching, many of us have had that experience that you're tied to it. And then what if it doesn't work out? Or what if you decide you hate it or they don't want you? There's lots of different avenues where you find out that this maybe is not the place. And then who are you if you can't identify yourself there? But the thing you said about the panic attack, your body always tells you, will give you signals. And I know so many people, we've all experienced this, if we have a job we're not happy in, that it's Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, for some people it's on Saturday, that you start to dread that Monday morning and having to put on a mask and go back in and kind of act happy and you're not. So this conversation is really helpful for a lot of people to recognize that you're not the only person that's experiencing this and to find the tools that'll help you manage until you find the thing that works for you. So for you to find your calling, whether it's entrepreneurship, another job, pivot your career into beauty, out of beauty, whatever that is for you. It's that wellness and beauty cannot be separated in a lot of ways. So people recognizing that. You did Reiki, you've done the yoga, the healing arts, and then you're also a actual artist too. Yes. Tell us about that and how that has helped shape your work now. So I grew up in a very creative house. My mother was always telling my brothers and I that we were to use our imagination. It was the late 60s, early 70s. So we created out of cardboard boxes. We painted. We did all kinds of things. She was in school to study early childhood. So we were her testers. And I walked away from my childhood as a very creative person. By the time I finished high school, I was writing poetry. That was my thing following Ntozaki Shange, Maya Angelou, and so many others. I decided in my last year of high school that I wanted to go to law school. And that took me away from the poetry and the creativity. And I focused all of my energy on getting to law school, all of it. And I didn't pick up a pen and begin to write poetry again until I was failing the bar exam. 10 years later. And it was the creativity that was the gateway to healing for me through poetry. And so when I was failing the bar exam, I took it eight times, four years, two times each year. So that was around the clock. I could have had a college degree. That was super stressful. And the poetry and the journaling helped me keep 
some sense of groundedness and helped me express myself. And when I realized that law wasn't working out for me, it was in the writing that I was able to see and also find some identity in I am spirit, I am creative, some value, some affirmation, as opposed to what society said I had to be or what I thought I had to be. So it was the creativity that was the door for me to begin healing. And from there, a couple years later, I was in another stressful job working in D.C. government. And that's when I entered into the world of finance. And I started twisting coat hangers, believe it or not. And one of my mentors saw that I had the coat hanger in my bag when I went to visit her. And you know how people carry crochet around? Well, that's how I was carrying my wire sculptures. And I was mortified because this woman was head of a national organization. She was a lawyer in civil rights. And I was like, oh my gosh, now she thinks I'm crazy. (laughs) And she asked me to pull it out. And it actually was a woman that was sculpted out of a coat hanger. And she said, are you selling them? And (laughs) I was like, yeah. Because I always was into turning things into a business. And I told her that there was a poem that went with it. And I kind of was like exaggerating. But she was like, okay, can you send me the poem? I said, I'll call you tomorrow and read the poem to you. And she bought 200 pieces for a conference. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's nothing but spirit. But it's also recognizing your creativity and walking in it. You are uncertain of it, but when asked, you answered affirmatively, yes, this is what I do, as opposed to, well, I'm thinking about doing this. And I think when we are in that space of not knowing exactly where our calling is, there are signs. And this was one for you, right? Yes, it was. And that was 1995. And so that forced me to come up with a whole background of what the sculptures meant. I was blessed to live in a neighborhood, U Street neighborhood in D.C., where at the time there were a number of Black women-owned stores that I shopped at. And one in particular, Zawadi, the owner, Irene Will, and she mentored me. And she and other artists that were Black women, they worked with me for a week to get the concept together, to get the pieces together. And when I finished working with them, I had a whole story behind my art. I used coat hangers because I was reclaiming the Roe versus Wade symbol of abortions, of women using coat hangers to give themselves abortions. And I was reclaiming that as a powerful symbol for women to take their lives seriously, their power seriously. And so the pieces that I was creating were called divine divas. And so from there, you know, I saw and was affirmed and really started to sit with and walk in my calling as an artist. And I started creating goddess sculptures and started with the West African Yoruba goddesses of Oshun and Yemenya and went into other world cultures and I was doing exhibitions at local stores that were owned by women and people of color. And I had poetry books, chat books I would print up and I would sell them and do talks, all kinds of things. I was on the radio, still working in that investment banking environment and still stressed out. (laughs) 
so you were stressed out, but less so because there was an outlet for you. So I think one of the lessons is as you're searching, while you're trying to figure things out, you must have some sort of creative outlet. You have to find the joy somewhere in your life while you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because none of this change happens like that. Like we're in social media age. We see these things and everything happens in 60 seconds, 90 seconds. But that's not how real life works. So in order for us to really make changes in our lives, if we want changes in our jobs and changes in our careers and creating a business, it's not going to happen overnight. So what is it that you're going to do for yourself to maintain your sanity? Because the reason I wanted to talk to Ananda is the first step in any of these endeavors is that you have to work on yourself. Yes. If you don't work on yourself, then forget about looking for a job because you're bringing you wherever you go. Forget about building a business. Forget about all that other stuff until you do this first step. Then I don't think you find the kind of success or whatever you're looking for because you have to look within first. Talk to me about this shift to mindfulness work. So you have these tools, this toolkit that you're using for yourself. When did you shift to start to share it with others? You know, when you're circulating in these different communities and people see you, and I was invited to do a workshop. My therapist had me do a workshop at her church for her lay leaders about stress. And I was like, I can't do it. She said, yes, you can. And I use my poetry. I use my prayers and I use the breathing techniques. And that was the first experience when someone came to me and called me out, basically, because she had to call me out and she was paying me. That was an indicator. And still, even after that, I still wasn't really sure until I was invited again by a mental health organization for children. And it was then when I brought the supplies and I work with the kids that I realized this is not just something that I do for myself, that this is a calling because I realized I was holding space. I didn't realize that my presence and what I share creatively and the way that I listen, the way that people respond to me, I didn't realize until then that this is really something and I need to call myself something. So by then the internet was working and I remember thinking healing art. Do I call myself a healing artist? And I typed in healing artist and this organization came up, Smith Center for Healing in the Arts. And they were a block away from where I worked and they were in my neighborhood. So I called at lunchtime. I said, I'm an artist and I just wanted to talk to someone about healing arts. And I see that you do that. I had no other intention. By the time I left that meeting, I had been invited to be an artist in residence for Smith Center for Healing in the Arts, a paid position in hospital settings. And so that was it. (laughs) That's when I realized, ooh, yeah. But even in the digital age, just for background for everybody, Ananda and I didn't first meet at a blogging conference, but we got to spend some time at Blog Her many, many years ago when we were both 
blogging. I had this site called the Black Girl Site. But Ananda, when I was the editor-in-chief of Heart and Soul, was one of the artists that we featured. And she reminded me of that years later. But at that conference where it was hectic, I will never forget that Ananda took myself and another blogger and we sat in a corner and did a breathing exercise. Do you remember that with me and Natalie? Yes, I do. I remember. Yeah. So she has always been this, even in this space of digital landscape of everything's fast and in a hurry and immediate, the person that recognizes truth of what's coming, but also can find the pause that we need to take. And I bring this up because when you're looking for a job, you need to pause. When you're thinking about starting a business, you need to pause. And using the tools that Ananda's been talking about are some of the ways in which you can do that. I want to talk about the Thriving Mindfully Academy. When did you start that? And tell us a little bit about that. Before we jump into that, I did want to say to everybody that it was in the hospital setting that I realized that mindfulness and self-care, and I wasn't calling it that at the time, but I realized that breathing and slowing down and getting in touch with what's happening in your body, all of those things were birthrights. Again, wasn't using that language and was preaching that as a gospel to people about the breath. And so Thriving Mindfully Academy was born seven years ago. Like, let's just say the concept and how I show up. I was at a conference put on by happy Black woman, Rosetta Thurman. My brother had gifted me a ticket. And so she had a really wonderful elevator speech exercise. And she said, you have a couple minutes to come up with a few words, no more than two or three to describe what you do. And so the two words that came up for me were thriving and mindfully, and it covered my art. It covered my writing. It covered the meditation, the yoga, the Reiki, all of that. And when I sat with it, our homework was to go home and to expand it. And I knew that it came from the heart. I knew that it was a reminder to people and myself that mindfulness and self-care are your birthrights, among other things. This ability to be aware of what's happening, no matter what it is, whether you label it good, bad, or indifferent, but to be aware of what's happening inside and outside of you. Self-care, this ability to uplift yourself in positive ways, whatever way you want to call positive. All of that. So from there, another homework assignment was to create a community. It was like a two-day conference and she really had us going. So I created a Facebook page and, of course, a podcast. And from there, from 2016 to now, it has morphed into what it is today, an academy, an online education platform and membership site, as well as we're calling it a movement for Anybody that is connected to me, to the concept, to the academy, to whatever, to events. And so it's a heart-centered approach and path to being present well and the real you. And it's my life's work. I now know 
fast forward that this is my life's work. And I learned that it was my life's work during the first week of the pandemic in 2020, when I got tons of calls and emails from people saying, we're not going to be able to have in-person events. What are we going to do? I'm stressed out. Do you have any resources? It took me three days to put something together and to shift everything that I was doing online. And it was that time that really showed me how committed I was to this. It wasn't just a business. It was a calling and it was an extension of spirit and the loving, wise and well ancestors. That's what I call it. You know, I do it even if I didn't have it, quote, as a business. What's interesting to me is that it's your zone of genius. People talk about the zone of genius and all the different zones, but it is really hard. Well, not hard, but it takes some inner work for people to identify their zone of genius and then to find a way to work in it. Because you can work in zones of competence and zones of excellence really easily. But to live and work in your zone of genius and to spend time there, that's where you do find your life's work. And for those people who are searching, it is something worth exploring as you're looking at what you're thinking about doing next. And there is actually a book called Callings, Finding and Following Your Authentic Life. And it is by Greg Lavoie. And you can get it on Amazon, but it's not in the bookstores. But it is one of the best books on really sitting with yourself and finding war. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at theberoundtable.com so you will be on the know about all the good things coming. But I want to get back to you now. What kind of work are you doing through the Academy? Right now, the work that I'm doing is I'm working with a community of people that need twice a month attention. I would say I'm right there with them. We have a mindful self-care class and we'll be opening it up to the public in June of 2023. So that'll be an option for people that are not ready to join the Academy, but they want to have a mindful self-care class. And so that mindful self-care class includes meditation, includes seasonal and lunar and astrological wisdom and traditional Chinese medicine wisdom to help them navigate the changes that are going on. I offer it as a buffet. There's journaling. There's an opportunity for folks to have access to me. I call it like a mini group coaching experience. And we meet for 45 minutes twice a month, the second and fourth Mondays. And we do it over Zoom. And so it's an opportunity for people to share in a safe space that I'm holding, that they can come, get what it is that they need, leave the rest behind, and really feel that they have the support. One of the beautiful things about community is that it gives you affirmation. It gives you accountability. It gives you access to other human beings who are struggling with change, with life, with whatever you want to call it, so that you know that you're not alone. It gives you space for folks to celebrate you. 
That's one of the things that we focus in on is a mindfulness practice. You get to learn from other people just like you, regular human beings. Right. And it's not about competition. And many times you're in these spaces where I also speak about the beauty industry is very competitive. So is the fashion industry. There are industries that are competitive where it is in some ways appearance driven. And to get away from that, I think one of the things that saved me when I worked at Elle magazine for eight years, the thing that saved me is the fact that I didn't live in Manhattan and I moved to Brooklyn. At that point, Brooklyn was not cool. Brooklyn was still just a regular neighborhood. And I made friends in my neighborhood who did not care about designers, who kept me grounded. I also have childhood friends, but people that lived nearby who loved to get the beauty products, but didn't really care about the rest of the stuff that I did. They were not impressed. And that was good because sometimes you can get caught in the world in which you work. And as you said at the beginning, you are not your job. So having these experiences in some place like the Thriving Mindfully Academy, where you're just with other humans, you're not talking about what you do, where you live, how you live, but your experiences as a person and your emotions and your breakthroughs, that's a major benefit to anyone. Yeah. And it's sacred space because you don't have to be on camera. You don't have to participate. You can participate in the chat. You can just come, you can lay down, you can do what works best for you during that time. And there's no pressure to perform. A lot of times we think, oh, you got to sit up straight. And there are different reasons why people have you do this in meditation or that if someone says set an intention, you don't have to share. If you're doing the journaling exercises, you don't have to share. You keep it to yourself. Your presence is all that's needed. That's it. Your presence is all that's needed and you choose how you want to show up. So the Thriving Mindfully Academy is like the first level of getting to know me and how I work and getting that support. And so that opens the door to if you want to do one-on-one coaching with me through Anandalit Consulting, my wellness company, if you want to hire me in a group or organization or a business setting, because I do work with nonprofits and corporations. I do work with entrepreneurs. I work with whoever comes to me because I trust that if you show up, there's a reason why you came. Exactly. And I'm going to trust it because not everybody's knocking on the door because it's not for everybody. But if you found your way to me in some way, then there's a reason, even if we're just having a discovery call. And that's fine. My whole thing is, look, I'm here. I'm waiting. Right. And the right people will come. So we talked about setting intentions. What's the role of setting intentions for creating a future for yourself? That is a great question. And I was talking about that today during the Thriving Mindfully Movement's community meditation about an intention. You can do a lot with an intention. It's a statement about how you want to show up in the moment, in the day, in the week, in the year, in your business, what you want. It gives you an opportunity to put the power of your word with your body, your breath, your heart, your energy into one statement. You can turn it into a mantra if you want to chant it. You can turn it into an affirmation, but it's your guiding principle 
about what it is that you're seeking. You can say it, sing it, dance it, you know, write it, draw it. You can call it your permission slip to be the real you. I love that. That's powerful. That is really powerful. Talk to me about how we deal with fear and rejection. Because those are going to come up if people are looking for work or unhappy in their jobs or looking to build a business. They've got to be able to deal with fear, rejection, and failure. Yeah. And so I'm still learning that even with all the tools and all the singing bowls and all the things that I have here, I'm still learning it. But I will tell you this, that the first thing is to know that it's going to happen. Don't be like Ananda and glaze stuff over like a glazed donut and be shocked when it's like, oh, it's going to happen. And what are you going to do when it happens to have some tools in place? The first thing when the fear the failure, whatever's happening that's unsettling you, that's stopping you, getting you stuck. Get in touch with the body, whether that's placing a hand on the body, whether that's giving yourself a hug so you notice the body, bringing your hands to your heart. For me, when I have really, really hard times and the panic attacks begin, I put my hands in water. There's something about me putting my hands in water And I start washing dishes or I clean a bathroom. I do something with water. It is the soothing of the water for me. It's my hands in the water that helps me connect with my breath, that gets me to begin to breathe. Because here's the thing with fear and failure and all of these different experiences and emotions and anger. It throws your nervous system into, it's hellacious. And so you have the power to calm the nervous system simply with your breath. It's free. It's available. I tell people, make your breath your BFF. That's a simple exercise that you can do. You get 1,440 minutes each and every day. You got a minute or less to breathe one to five times. Go it and do 10 and you will calm your behind down with the deep breathing. You'll get in touch with what's really going on in the body, even if it doesn't stop, at least you'll be aware of it. You'll have some awareness around it. And that's what you want. You want to have awareness around it. You want to be able to say, I'm scared. I'm afraid. Cry it out, scream it out, cuss it out. But to be able to acknowledge it, because see, it gets bigger when you don't. Ooh, wait, stop right there. Because you just said it's bigger when you don't. Talk a little bit more about that. Because I don't think we realize how big it gets. Yeah. So when we know that some stuff is happening and we might do other things to escape it, thinking that, oh, I can run from this. Like Corinne said, you can't run from yourself, baby. It's going to catch up with you. And the universe is going to keep knocking louder and louder and louder until you hear it. And you don't want it to flatline you. And if it does, that's what will make you slow your behind down, and pay attention because all of those things in the body, those emotions, they can turn into other things. So it behooves us to befriend the body, befriend ourselves with some loving kindness and some compassion and to become aware of what's happening, not to pretend like this stuff is not happening. So once you get to that place of, oh, this is happening, 
one of the biggest things that I've learned, and it's not me, it's from Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith at Agape Spiritual Center in Los Angeles, asking yourself, what is this, whatever you want to call it, fear, failure, anger, what is it here to teach and tell me? What is it here to teach and tell me? And I'm not saying that you get that in five minutes. I mean, I've gone for days on end, not been able to articulate that to myself. Didn't want to write it, you know, but I knew it was coming. Once you get to that place and you're able to ask yourself, what is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? What are you trying to tell me? Because when we get afraid, when we get angry, whatever you call it, failing, there's a bigger message. It's not what we think it is. There's always something else. There's always something else. But we have to understand that, one, we have that power in ourselves. We have this birthright of mindfulness. Mindfulness is just being aware through the breath. Your first place that you go for self-care is your breath. It's free, y'all. It's available 24-7, 365. We don't take advantage of it. So that's where you can start. Then you can write it out. Maybe you realize this is too big for me and I need help. Call out for help, whatever your higher powers are. If you're not sure what to do, talk to somebody. Even if it leads you to some of my best friends, Google to be able to type in, this is what's happening. You know, all of that, but you got to first acknowledge and be right there with it. You can't run from it, baby. This is so powerful. Now, you mentioned your Thriving Mindfully podcast. Are there episodes that you can direct our audience to that speak to what we're talking about today? Definitely. I'm going to direct you all to anandaleap.com forward slash podcast. You want to click on season one through four on SoundCloud. There's a button for season five through six on Spotify, and there's one for season one through four. If you go to season one, two, and three, and four, you're going to hear what mindfulness is. You're going to get some exercises. You're going to get meditations. You're going to get body scans and you're going to get me talking about fear. Wow. I love this. Talking about my journey as a black woman, my black woman wellness journey. You're going to get tips on how to use self-care in your life, how to set intentions, how to use each day. I call the week, I start the week off with Slow Down Sunday, Mindful Monday, Take Care of Yourself Tuesday, Wellness Wednesday, Thankful Thursday, Fun Day Friday, Savor Your Life Saturday. You're going to get all of that. It's all there. It's all there and it's free. I'm going to actually include that in the show notes and then on the video, we'll chire on to the screen so folks can see that as well. That would be great. I think you gave me so much more than I asked for. Like my expectations, I'll say that, not that I asked for. You gave me more than I could have hoped for, I will say that. Because what you're offering us is the tools for us to do the work. Because if we're saying it starts with us and we don't know where to begin, you have just basically laid it out for us. So if we really want to work on ourselves to get to the next level in whatever it is that we're pursuing, you have laid that out for us. And then it's up to us to do it or not do it. 
and people listening here are grown. So when you make a decision, <laughs> you live with the consequences. <laughs> you can't complain about not moving forward if you haven't done the work. Yeah. I wanted to share three things with folks, especially if you're going through something and it's really, really rough for you and trust and believe I can relate both as a person going through and as a person who's holding space for those that go through it. You've heard me talk about the breath. You've heard me talk about touching the body. When we hug ourselves for 20 seconds or more, we activate the super self-care hormones of oxytocin, the love hormone, as well as serotonin, the feel-good hormone. And together they work to reduce the stress hormone of cortisol in the body. I learned this during the first month of the pandemic because I'm a hugger and I was like, I'm not going to make it out alive. And so I did a lot of research on hugging and I discovered that that really does work because I was using it with myself. I was freaking out. I thought I was going to die alone and so on and so forth. And so hugging yourself and breathing deeply and then setting intention to take care of yourself. Those three things, try it. So Ananda, tell us how the audience can get to follow you on social and give us the website for Thriving Mindfully. I will. So you can follow me at Ananda Leak on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can go to anandaleek.com to learn more about me. The academy is anandaleek.com forward slash academy. There are resources with the podcast. Just go to anandaleek.com podcast or go to Spotify, look up Thriving Mindfully or SoundCloud, Thriving Mindfully. I'm here, y'all. I am here. And like I mentioned earlier, in the month of June of 2023, the Thriving Mindfully Academy is opening up its mindful self-care classes to the public. So look out for that. You can just go to anandalit.com forward slash movement. If you forget all of that, hit me up in a DM on social media or email me and just say, Ananda, you said something about some classes and I'm interested and I'm happy to be of support to you all. Thank you so much for giving us this rich buffet of tools for us to do the work. I cannot thank you enough for joining me, Ananda. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's our show for today. Follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.